2: Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
3: Alright, welcome to a Tuesday night edition of... uh film study. Of course, you are probably listening to this on Wednesday as we're all screwed up and a day late this week because of Monday Night Football. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? You came back from Vegas, so you're probably just as messed up as everyone, if not um, one.
4: Messed up for time, messed up for all kinds of opportunity to anal- uh, analyze things. Of course, messed up just like Coach, our guest today in terms of the All-22 not being available. Coach, how's it going, buddy? I'm going
5: fine, going fine. Wishing the, the All-22 was available because I would be like, deep into to working right now, but it's not just yet, but um, it's more than one way to skin a cat.
3: All right. And you are Sip to Tally on everything. S-I-P, sip to Tally. tally.
5: Yep. Yeah, sip to Tally on YouTube, Sip to Tally, in Instagram. All
3: right. So, make sure you're following all that stuff. Uh, when does the 22 normally come out?
5: Uh, for Monday night games, it normally comes out Tuesday night, but, um, and for the Sunday games, it normally comes out, like, Monday, right around 1 or 2 o'clock. Okay. Yeah. So, about 24 hours. Yeah. Give so- or take, yeah. All right. So you guys
3: will be digging into that uh, later on. Of course, you've got the same TV broadcast. Um, did a question for you, Ken, since you were there. The announcers really wanted to make the crowd a thing for the for the new stadium. And uh, watching on TV, the crowd never stood out as super loud to me
4: compared to other games where you can actually notice the crowd. I I'd agree with that. Person. Yeah, it was it was not all that loud. In fact, on the fourth and one that the Ravens had, we were actively trying to be loud. And I think a lot of other Ravens fans were, And uh, you know, that that felt like one of the louder times of the games. The, the, the sound system there is blaringly eardrum crunchingly loud. So, well, that's because you went to week
3: one. They don't know how to run it because they ran it last year without fans. They haven't adjusted to what, how do you, as a guy, as a pro audio guy and a guy that runs a lot of live events, you have to adjust to the room changes when there's people in there and they didn't know how to adjust. So you got their week one, they'll figure it out. You can always tell when you go to Camden Yards once in a while, when there's someone else on the board, sounds just a little (laughs) off and a little too loud. So, all right. Well, that's a good, uh, good experience, um, well, not okay. What was anything about it a good experience?
4: No, we really it, it, blowing the big lead was bad. You know, it's not something you ever want to see done against the Raiders. You know, you have the week, the fact that it's a week one game, and you get a result that's kind of contrary to what you believe is true. Uh, you know, that's a bad thing as well. Uh, just a whole lot of things are bad about this. And I was looking back at, at at my time as a Ravens fan. Now, been a season ticket holder since the very beginning. This is now the third time I've left a game when I thought the outcome was decided and I, 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 and and the game turned out not to be over and and the Ravens got another chance each time but in 1996 they had a fumble uh late they recovered against Jacksonville it was it could have been a Joe Passartick type fumble but they but they uh ended up giving the ball back on downs four plays later so even though we ran back into the stadium it was pretty much over by the time we got there then the famous one that everybody remember 2007 uh that that Browns game that the ball went over the upright and bounced back off of the supporting bar And was the field goal was good, but it was it. You know, we left the stadium thinking the field goal was no good, and the Ravens had won. And then, you know, we came back in and had to watch an overtime loss to the Browns after that. And then the the third one, of course, last night, we thought that it was a touchdown, and of course, it wasn't. Every Ravens fan that I knew about was outside that stadium, walking across a bridge, and all of a sudden, we're looking back at uh, into the stadium, and the game is being played on the Allegiant Jumbotron, and we can see it. So it was a weird kind of a post-apocalyptic feel almost didn't uh, didn't didn't sit very well anyway so anyway tough game tough loss we're back here we want to talk about the game in a, in a little more detail with uh with our good friend coach
3: all right you you you're saying you want to talk about the game i feel like it's more like we have to talk about this game <laughs> but uh but let's get into it at what point of the game do you want to start we're going to break down the
4: defense today So they had to go up against Derek Carr. You want to start with Derek Carr? I I think that's a natural place. You know, one of the things about Carr, uh, coach, is that very similar to Ben Roethlisberger, and that gets gets rid of the ball quickly.
5: Yeah, he he does a good job. If if you give him underneath stuff, he's going to take it. He's going to take the uh, the tight end to the running back. That seems like most of his reads are are one two tight end running back, and occasionally once you suck up, he'll you know try to hit you over the top. But for the most part, he's a he's a game manager. Uh, and does does a decent job at managing the game, especially when he get, when he has clean feet in the pocket.
4: Yeah, they, they really avoided, the Ravens did, a lot of their heavy pass rush scheme in this game for some of the same reasons they don't do it against Roethlisberger is that just you, you don't have a really good chance to get home quick. And some of his short throws, of course, can go to Darren Waller. They can be very dangerous if you're playing a lot of cover zero in the middle of the field and he breaks that first tackle on his on his direct assignment. But they, they had only eight off-ball blitzes, which I guess for a lot of teams, that, that might be a lot. Nine stunts, that's kind of a lot and seven two-man drops. But then when you factor in the fact that the car dropped back 59 times mm-hmm. in this game, none of those numbers are really all that high. It's actually a pretty tame game from Martindale in terms of pass rush scheme. Another thing that stood out to me with, um, with Carr is the fact that
5: Waller had 19 targets. Yes. And I remember coming during the game, I was like, when he was at 10, I'm like, I know he's going to get 15. And on the last one, I was like, yeah, that's at least 20 targets. And when I saw the game, the, um stats from the game—he had 19 targets, and that's crazy for a tight
4: end. Yeah, I, it's, it's utterly unbelievable. I mean, we—I I guess, what was it about 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe now? Terrell Owens had 20 catches in mm-hmm. a game, but uh, it, Waller's 19 targets for a tight end is is an astounding number. And uh, you know, he honestly didn't have that great a game. He, he right. dropped a couple balls. Uh, you know, I think the Ravens more or less held him in check personally. Uh, Carr threw a couple bad balls to him. A couple. Couple of balls that were too high, a couple behind him. Um, they they just didn't have the connection going all night. And Chuck Clark also played some great defense right. on him,
5: especially early in the game. Uh, when I saw Chuck on him, I was thinking it was going to be a mismatch. But um, you know, Chuck held his own, and some other people held their own. But I mean, they just kept going to him, and he he get a catch here, a catch there out of those. You know, and they ended up with ten for over hundred yards. And that's and he was he was the real real X factor. You know, like I said, the check now. Because you know, he didn't run anything deep. All his, Everything he ran deep, we kind of covered with the exception yeah. of maybe one throw.
3: When, when you're talking about uh, their car and this lack of pressure, uh, Rick wants to know over in the film Study Mailbag, what did you think, how effective was the zero blitz?
4: Okay, so is zero blitz, what he's meaning is it's kind of an all-out blitz where they they brought the house and right. they leave nobody in deep center field. And I can't distinguish those plays, but I'm going to tell you the six and seven man blitzes, which included Some of the zeros, certainly Um, those, those did not go well. They had an incomplete on, on the first, with a quarterback hit by Houston. The second one went for 24 yards Uh, pressure. There was pressure on the play by Harrison, but, but the ball got off. Uh, They had a pass left for nine where the ball was out quickly. That's the one you really want to avoid when you have an all out blitz and he has a hot read and he gets the ball out quickly. That's really bad. That one happened only go for nine yards, which actually a pretty good result given that he got the ball off. Then they had a uh, 11-yard throw. What was really bad about that was they gave away ample time and space with a six-man pass rush. So that's that's just awful. Uh, if you allow that to happen, you're, you're bound to get beat for something pretty bad. Uh, then they had an incomplete pass where Board got a quarterback hit. And then, of course, they had the 31-yard touchdown with a pressure from Elliott to end the game. Uh, that was also on a seven man blitz. Those last two were sevens. So, uh, you know, I would say that the the zeros and the and the the stuff they did with extreme pressure packages was not particularly successful. They threw it for about twelve and a half yards per play. I think if I if I counted this up correctly on those six plays.
5: And that that last that last zero blitz, um, had it not been for the the bump, Marlon may have had a chance. Mm-hmm. He was bumped off by um, a Westry maybe, and at that point it was uh you know
4: all Carl had to do was get the ball off. All right. It's uh it was it was a fairly easy pitch and catch. Honestly, the 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 other one, the one down the right sideline that almost ended the game earlier in overtime, uh was not as easy a pitch and catch. That was a more difficult throw. Was that the one to um, Renfro? Uh, uh I I didn't think it was Renfro. It's the it's the tall receiver. I want to say Edwards, Edwards? but I, Okay, yeah. Edwards. Yeah, yeah, when he, when he dove and was down at like the one or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, all right what else do we have to say Carr had ample time and space on 24 of 59 drops that's the other thing 41% so uh, anything else about their car we want to hit on it was just clear that they
5: really didn't care about the run game I guess they didn't think they could run it on us and they really didn't try and maybe they just abandoned it early they only rushed for 82 yards maybe and to drop back 60 times is, 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 is crazy for me
3: and it was yeah. Mariota with the big rush Yeah, it was Mariota.
5: yes He was second on the team in rushing with 31
4: yards on that one carry. Jacobs had 34. (laughs) Jacobs did not look healthy. And I I noticed that at the game. And then I came back and I I listened to the the broadcast of it. And they were apparently were talking about it during the broadcast a fair Mm -hmm. amount. He
5: had some um, Las Vegas style cleats on early. And I think uh, he got tackled maybe second or third play or sometime in that first drive. And he went to the sideline and changed shoes. And they was Mm -hmm. talking about his – Maybe having turf toe, maybe. Oh, okay. Putting steel plate in the shoe to protect it from moving and all that stuff. But they didn't say he had turf toe. They were assuming at the time. And I don't know what the the real evaluation was.
3: They also said that the day before he had the flu. Yes. That's why he was questionable going into the game.
4: Yeah. the, those those steel inserts that they put in those shoes, the players never really like them because they're uncomfortable as hell to play on for three hours anyway. So they always want to try and take them off. And then it probably hurts more when they do. I really don't know because you, you've probably had some players who've had turf toe over the years. Yeah. And, and but on my level, they just don't play because <laughs> it <they laughs> hurts that bad. All right. All right. Well, let's go on. I, I thought one of the interesting things about this game was that the Ravens really established themselves as an extreme package team. And I like that because it's more in line with 2019 than 2020. And the 2019 team was, was considerably better defensively. Um, they played 25 snaps of dime in this game. All of those had Stevens on the field. So if you didn't see Stevens... All that much on the field, he was the the, the single high safety for most of those plays. Mm-hmm. Clark was coming up most of the time to play dime back. Elliott was doing whatever Elliott does, whether that's a coverage assignment of some sort or playing close to the line of scrimmage. He he was fairly versatile in terms of of how he was used in those. Um, Twelve of those plays, and I may have that number wrong. It might be fourteen. I have to. Go back and get my sheet entered and whatnot. Uh, we're with the race car with four outside linebackers on the field. So what we're seeing is that Martindale is willing to go with zero inside linebackers whenever he thinks it's appropriate. Which, frankly, given the Ravens' coverage problems at inside linebacker, is very appropriate. If, if I'm reading that right, the you have four. Did your down linemen an are all outside linebacker? You have you had, they had Campbell as the fifth. Mm-hmm. No inside linebackers and six defensive backs. And and Chuck was kind of playing the linebacker
5: ish role. Yes. Correct. Okay. That's what that's what I thought I saw. So Chuck would kind of work the middle to the edge from C gap to C Gap and 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 do that. So he basically was the you know, he was basically the mic. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) in in that look. And uh, and he did a good job when he was, you know, in coverage on Waller. And I know he did a good job of communicating because I didn't really see any blown coverages. Mm -hmm. I saw um you know, some some passes that may have been fit in coverage, but I can't recall a, a straight blown coverage. And I
4: can attest that to, Chuck, you know, lining people up. Yeah, I, I agree completely. And, and, you know, one of the things we saw at the at the start of a lot of plays, the. Raiders are really trying to mess up the ravens' coverage responsibilities they 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 tried very hard to do that, and they did it with with the um preset motion where they you know they can move people all over the field as they like before mm-hmm. the play and then also the pre snap motion where they're moving just the one player and in in both cases you know when they overlap a receiver and he moves either. You know, one slot over, or even to the other side of the field, that causes changes. And Clark did a really good job of communicating those. The Ravens looked as a unit confused, but it was Clark and, to a lesser extent, Elliott who were really able to pick up a coverage and be the glue that that you know holds the holds the ship together, so to speak, on the back end. It, it looked like they were very confused at the stadium, frankly, on defense. And if they if they were
5: confused, mm-hmm. I think Clark and Chuck kind of filled in where somebody else may have went wrong. Yeah. So if, if somebody had like a, a, a curl flat and they went like straight flats, maybe Chuck, you know, feeling in that spot and, and kind of abandoned his responsibility or they just may have happened to switch roles on the fly. But I think Ruggs was the guy that was trying to mess the coverage up with Rugs went in motion a lot. Yep,
4: yeah, Right. It, it was Ruggs for certain. It was Waller some too, because they wanted to get Waller on the inside or the outside and keep them guessing on who had to do it. And then it eventually became Humphrey's job really to trail Waller for mm-hmm. a fair amount of the game. So you, I'm sure you noticed that. Yeah, I think um
5: after the maybe second drive, I saw Westry inserted uh, at one of the outside yeah. corners, and and Marlin became the the primary slot corner, especially after what Waller was and the not necessarily Waller, but what other people were doing to Tavon.
4: Yeah, yeah. So he had a couple of DPIs, of course. Tavon, not a great game. Uh, you know, we hope this isn't the end. Tavon did have a very athletic near interception. Uh, that was really that that looked like Tavon twenty eighteen. That looked mm-hmm. like Tavon in his prime. Uh, but uh, other than that, I'd say he he did not look great and and uh, didn't quite seem to have the speed. I thought one of the plays was a completely unnecessary foul on his part. Ball was overthrown by a mile anyway. But the, the other one he it was uh, was probably a necessary foul. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's, that's
3: a lot of the uh, mailbag tonight about Tavon is, did he lose a step with the injury or is he still recovering? How long does it take a guy to get back into where he was?
5: Well, I'll say in his defense, and I've loved this guy coming out of college. Hunter Renfro is not an easy cover. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not going to beat you with, with straight line speed, but he knows how to get in and out of breaks. He can work the the five to seven yard route. And there's a reason why when he was at Clemson, they called it the third Renfro because you knew it was going to Hunter Renfro and you couldn't stop his, his zig routes, his, his quick outs, his jerks. He, he just, he's a good slot football player. And, uh, you know, I know Tavon's a, an
4: experienced guy, but. Part of that is is Hunter Renfro is pretty darn good in that slot. Yeah, I, I agree completely, Coach. And you know, one of the things you never get with these guys, whether it's Welker or him or or Edelman, is is that they're they're good. They don't have speed, not not particularly anyway. But they have great whip route speed, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's something that that you, you I mean, you got it or you don't, and it's right. very hard anyway for for cornerbacks. One of the big things about slot corners is can they do that? And and Tavon in his prime certainly had that ability to cover the whip route and, and change direction really quickly. Humphrey, that's not his specialty. Humphrey's right. more of an aircraft carrier corner and, you know, he's better off covering a guy like Waller if it's going to be in the slot.
5: All right. And the only thing I think Marlin does that helps him in the slot is those guys are smaller and Marlin, Marlin gets physical with them. And if mm-hmm. you beat him, you, he's beat you up before you got into your
4: route. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Great point. Uh, but how about we talk about the inside linebackers a little bit because they, they moved around. Obviously queen did some things in this game, some good, some bad. But, uh, in terms of usage, I really want to talk about here. Queen had a hundred percent of the true Mike snaps. Now, as coach mentioned earlier, Clark was really taking those Mike snaps in the dime roll, uh, more or less. So there were 14, uh, snaps that were not Queen. So Queen was on for some, but not all dime snaps, if that makes sense. And uh, he was uh, uh, he was on for 72 of 86, according to the game book, in terms of snaps. Um, Harrison and Board split the weak side linebacker snaps. And I didn't see a real pattern to it in terms of down or distance or anything in this game. It looked to be more like just consecutive snaps on the sheet. Um, you know, the, hey, you take six, so he'll take six, you know, kind of thing. Um, what'd you think about those two? Uh, starting off with queen.
5: Um, you know, last year we talked about queen just being fast and being out of mm-hmm. position a lot. I think he was still explosive, but was in, he was where he was supposed to be for the most part. Uh, I didn't see him like overrun very many plays. Uh, when he blitzed, it was, you know, he came through like a missile. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he, I think he slowed down just enough to read better and, and feel where he's supposed to be. Feel his gaps, uh, watch his reads. Um, not so much cover, but in the run game, I didn't see him like overrunning plays and, and giving up cutback lanes and stuff like that. A, a lot of stuff that that I kind of questioned him last year about. I feel like he's gotten better at it, you know, in in this one game. So I was I was impressed with Queen and his role as just being a, a rock in the middle when he was there, and not just overrunning plays, trying to get plays, trying to make tackles, and really putting himself out of position, putting the defense out of position. As mm-hmm. far as um board and and Harrison, I really like uh the way Harrison brings a wood. I don't know if um they they trust him enough to be that that all time guy that is why he's splitting with board, but mm-hmm. to me he he if if he doesn't know the system or he's just still learning it if he can pick it up he's he's much more effective for us on the field than board in my opinion. Because yeah. He, that that like he, him being out there allows Queen to run around and do the things he do,
4: and Harrison can kind of play that weak side cutback or maybe slide to the middle and be the thumper that we need. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And If it weren't for their draft pick status, I I would already say that you could have moved uh, Harrison to the Mike and make Queen into your Bart Scott type player Mm -hmm. that's, you know, is a not every down player, you know, when Bart Scott, Bart Scott did eventually become an every down player, but doesn't have to be an every down player. And, and then you, you, you have him do many more rangy things. Uh, I'm going to go back to Queen for a second, then I'll come back to Harrison. Okay. Um, So in in the case of Queen, I liked a lot of things he did in this game. His, his blitz for the sack was a thing of beauty because he kind of faked back, timed it perfectly, hit, hit it quickly. By the way, I don't know if it was obvious what was happening there, but Campbell really made that play. He crossed the face of that right guard, took the right guard all over his center following him, and then Queen had a gaping maw to go through. Mm-hmm. And Carr was in a position there where he, didn't, he, didn't, uh, he wasn't able to really backpedal out of trouble or dodge it. Queen is just too fast. And, and I think, frankly, he was still probably playing a little under control there as he made that blitz despite coming in very fast. Mm-hmm. And that, that's probably the word I was looking for, under control. He played, he played a lot better. Uh, still still using the speed, but but control. Yeah. Uh, the, the thing that I really didn't like about Queen was the penalty. I mean, it was a huge penalty on third down that, that mm-hmm. uh, extended a drive, and it was a completely unnecessary penalty. And if you didn't see it on the broadcast, and, and it wasn't obviously clear what had happened, basically he was in a position where he's allowed to hit that receiver. It's a crossing receiver coming fairly shallow. If they might have been six or seven yards past the line of scrimmage, they'll never call it for a hit that occurs there for the, mm-hmm. for the first hit. But they, they, it, it wasn't any deeper than that, and it might have been only five. In any case, the, the receiver came across – I forget if it was – was Renfro? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was Renfro. So he came across right in front of him, and the announcer said, well, I guess they got tired of him Cody. well, he basically took his forearm and put it into Renfro's chin. And they're going to call that kind of thing. But if he just puts both his hands to Renfro's chest and knocks him down five yards – no call. No call is going to come from that. That's, that's the, the single allowed hit within five yards of the line of scrimmage. And it's, it's purely within the rules of football. So it was a chance where he had a chance to make a great play. And instead, he chose to make a very stupid play. Yeah. And, and that I was upset about. That, that, that was a big first
5: down. Big first down. Because if I'm not mistaken, it was like third and eight ish somewhere yeah, up in third, there. Third and nine. Yeah, I think you're mm-hmm. right. Uh, I'll go back and find that play. And that was, you know, all, all those those third down plays are huge because you can you can almost directly re-
4: correlate them to something bad happening for us uh, defensively. They did, fortunately, the next play was always sack, uh, which was the last play. No, okay, no, 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 it wasn't good. This was, they kicked a field goal at the end of the half. This put them in position to kick that field goal. So, yeah, that wasn't good. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Harrison, I think we've said enough about, so I'm not going to go back to him. Uh, Board uh, you know, was in there, and, and I think his role is going to be reduced this year, honestly. You, you mentioned before that you think Harrison's the guy above him. Harrison's obviously the best run stopper. Mm-hmm. The Ravens have big tackling problems at inside linebacker. They need to either resolve this year by a step forward, frankly, from Queen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Board also had a bad tackling year last year, and Harrison is the, is the one guy I think you can really trust at that position to be the good tackler. Yeah, he's he's the guy that that can. I w- I just wish he could
5: be the mic mm-hmm. and let let Queen run around and do some of the weak side stuff and, and and coverage stuff. If he if he could pick it up and just be the guy in the middle, because he's he's way more athletic than he showed. Mm-hmm. So he can you know if he has to drop in coverage, he can do so. But just the, his his presence as far as tackling is something that that's needed almost on an every down basis. But we need to, the running backs on the other team need to know that if you hit the hole, there's going to be a guy there to punish you, and that's that mentally that's that's different for you know a running back to know because he's going to always try to figure out where where's where's Harrison where's Harrison it's like, just like with Ray any running back if he knew he ran the ball and I'm not comparing the two so don't don't flood my DMs if you know you got a guy on there that's going to bring it every time you're going to find him every time and it's going to make you a step slower on your cuts, uh, on your reads, and don't let him, you know, get you one good time. Everything else is going to slow down.
4: Yeah, that's, that's a, a great point to make there. It's an absolutely great point. And I don't, I don't see the reason why they couldn't do that. I mean, obviously, they want Queen on the field for, for a lot of these situations, but they're not married to having Queen on the field on third down, right. which, which is fine. Just get him off the field on third down. In fact, you don't have to have either of your inside linebackers on the field on third down when Chuck Clark has the green dot. Exactly. So you, you, you are free. Yeah, I, I would love to see that change made. I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think, you know, the the idea of Queen trailing the gap uh, probably makes more sense in terms of a stylistic match for Queen, not just for Harrison. Because mm-hmm. you,
5: you can shoot gaps from the backside. Mm-hmm. Late side, you need to be where you're supposed to be. Yeah.
3: All right, let's take a quick break to remind you that Baltimore Ravens football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Baltimore Ravens tickets. That's because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, TickPick, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you ever need to go to for all your NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of those awful service fees that you know from other ticketing sites which lets them guarantee the best prices for all their NFL tickets. If you don't believe it, if you find a better price for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. I don't know what you guys are doing. I'm looking at one game. I'm looking at week 10 as the Ravens head to Miami. Not too far of a drive for me, and that's where I'm looking to pick up some tickets. And TickPick is where I'm going to do that. So take a look on TickPick. Visit TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K dot com slash Ravens today and use the promo code Ravens to save $10 on your first order of your Baltimore Raven tickets or whatever tickets you want. Check out TickPick and support Film Study by using the code
4: Ravens. All right. Uh, Josh, how about another mailbag question?
3: All right. I was waiting for you to get over to the uh, defensive line. Um, did you want to go over outside linebackers first? Yep, whatever you'd like to do. All right, whatever well, let's you got talk about. Let's talk about Campbell, because Jason's wondering. PFF graded him really well, but we saw very little pass rush from him. Is his time as a guy getting to the quarterback is that over for him?
1: OK,
4: um, I hope not. Let's put it that way, because if if, if, if we've got problems, uh, coach, I'll let you I'll let you start it. But I just want to make one comment first is that Campbell had an extremely heavy workload in this game. He played 60 snaps and he has been an iron man in the past, didn't do so for the Ravens last year, in part because of injuries. But also he wasn't playing this high a percentage when he was in there. But 60 snaps out of, I think, 80 defensively that, that the Ravens played in this game is a very high percentage for any Ravens defender and, and frankly for any defensive lineman league wide. Now with um with with Wolf not being in there, Campbell
5: was I think he was more of a setup guy. He wasn't probably go, wasn't going to be able to get to the quarterback like that because you he's going to be seed up strictly on reputation alone. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned earlier, uh he he the little twist with, with Queen, the sack, mm-hmm. he he caused that. his guy he took his guy and another guy with him. So, Queen was able to come through, you know, untouched. But that's the kind of role he's going to have because of his reputation. He's going to get the bulk of the – the blocking scheme is going to be mainly based to stop him, and then other guys have to eat off of that. So, I don't think he's at a point where he's done. He's never going he's not going to be the guy he was in, in Arizona, but he's he's a quality guy that's going to command double teams. And if you don't double team him, you see what happened on, like, third and one right there
4: at the end of the game. Yeah, he made that big one. play. Four yeah, to one, a huge play. Yeah, so he, he was he was in the backfield and and uh, and and got a redirection on Jacobs. Mm-hmm. And then it seemed like they had about three guys swarm Jacobs, yeah. and I was I was ruining each missed tackle. And then finally, of course, he's down. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it, it, basically Jacobs stutter stepping in the backfield is probably going to result in in nothing good for the for the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. <laughs> so uh, I, I, go back to Campbell though for a second um, He was in the middle of that race car He was the he was the lone defensive lineman They had on the field Almost every single one of those snaps um, He did have two pressures And one quarterback hit As as I scored it Are you at all surprised That they didn't try and put a player Like Matabike into that center role On that race car At least a few times I am Based off uh, age and, and usage But um,
5: maybe they just Didn't trust him or, or Campbell has shown in, in preseason camp that he's, you know, he's in shape enough to, to carry that workload. You know, us not being uh, privy to what kind of shape he's in and, and the, the the total actual scheme uh, leaves a lot to be wondered. But, you know, 60 snaps for a guy with that much wear on him is, is, a, is a lot. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. And for him to still have what he had at the end of the game was impressive
4: to me. I, I think you're right about the setup thing as well, though. Is is maybe without Wolf and Wolf is the ultimate under guy on stunts. You know, you get Campbell in there, and and by the way, it, it, Coach, you just alluded to this because you called it a twist, even though it was really a blitz coming from Queen from mm-hmm. you know deep in level two. Frankly, on, on his sack, um, but but it's, it has a lot of the same characteristics as a stunt. Mm-hmm. It, it's it you basically that that uh, lineman is trying to create a gap by taking a pick, you know, taking a pick between two players, but Mm -hmm. more importantly, by just crossing the face of that guard who has sole responsibility for him. Yeah. And, and, you know, he he basically created that gap for queen to make that sack. And that was a big play. Oh, this is just a basketball (laughs) pick. That's that's what it is. And and Wolf,
5: Wolf is, is great at it. And I don't know if that's kind of why maybe the other guys were not. And so Campbell kind of fell into that role, but, um, that, you know, he a 60 snaps for him and still have what he had left in the tank, that, you know, that was a lot, you know, impressive for me because of age and usage and and, and the fact that he's 6'8". So that's a lot yeah. on, a, on a guy to, to constantly get down and
4: do that. Even I know he paid handsomely for it, but it, it's still a lot on the body. Yeah, it's it's a good point because he really has to play low to be effective. He's exactly. made that point in videos I've seen before, but uh, yeah, very, very much a, a much more difficult thing to get your back low and keep it down and bend all that all those times in a game. He looked tired coming off the field in Las Vegas. I'll say that you know he uh, after I forget which touchdown it was because they had so many game tying scores in this game, but but he basically was walking off the field, just shaking his head as if, you know, he just, he just couldn't do it anymore. Almost. Mm-hmm. It, it's, I, I, maybe he was like saying, you know, I'm sorry, we didn't quite get there kind of thing, but, but it was, it, would, it just looked like tired is what I got from it. Um, anyway. Okay. Uh, Josh got another question for us.
3: Uh, yeah. You want to move, if we want to move on to Marlon Humphrey, there's a few attentions for Marlon Humphrey. one, for the ball that I guess on replay looks like he got a pick six and no one knew or not a pick six, the interception, sorry, I got my notes wrong uh, that he got the interception and no one caught it on the field. He didn't know he had it. Is that something that the ref should have done a better job handling?
4: The Ravens have booth guys. Right. And um, you know, that was, I think it was fairly obvious from one of the angles, what had happened. So it was their job to call for it. And okay. I'm sure that Harbaugh had asked the question, although Humphrey wasn't saying, hey, look at it. Look, I, you know, I, don't, I got this. You know, kind right. Of this.
3: I feel like it's one of the things Twitter saw and no one else. <laughs> because, because Humphrey even stood up and just tossed the ball.
4: Yeah, he did. He, he pitched the ball down. and Then Renfro smartly ran over and, and fell on the thing. And that may have been one of the things they looked at in the booth is to say, hey, okay, he may have gotten the interception, but if he also went over and spiked it down, then all we're doing right. is giving the Raiders five extra yards to the point where Renfro fell on the ball. And and the question really was, was he down by contact when he had the football? And that might have been true. I'm not sure. But but a lot of people said he didn't secure the football until he was actually standing up. What did you see, Coach? Yeah, I don't think he secured it at all, even standing up. I know it,
5: <laughs> it was on um, the defender's back. I mean, the, the, the whoever the offensive guy was back. And he stood up and it was kind of in his lap. But mm-hmm. I think he was already into his celebration to where he didn't even really know the ball was there. And when he realized, he just kind of pushed it off of him. I don't, you know, I don't really think he would secured it at all. Even, even though had, when he stood up and right before he pushed it off, had he realized or known that he probably could have took off running, but I think he was already into his celebration for breaking up the pass. That you know, he I don't think he had it at all. It,
4: it is one of those things you 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 wish from not knowing. That he should have just held on to that football. I mean, the one thing the Ravens practice, and boy, they practice this all the time in terms of the, of the offensive, defensive scorecard they keep during every day of training camp, is if you fall on a football that's an incomplete pass, you get a point. Mm. It's like, so if you practice that all summer, you know, and, and you get to, and it's still summer, obviously, but you get to this point in, the, in, the, in, the, in week one, and you're not trying to do those same things that you've been learning in camp, that seems, that's, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, it's almost like you just was just trying to get by camp wise, not really implementing the the things that you worked on in camp. Yeah, I, I, and it's 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 not fair to to do that to Marlon because he's absolutely the hardest worker in camp you'll ever see. He's an unbelievable competitor in camp. He's like Suggs that way in terms <laughs> of being just a you know in on every All play. Right, well,
3: well, if you're talking about his hard work, before you break down and tell me how type of a game Humphrey has we got to talk about the other thing being talked about over on Twitter and the mailbag, which is the final play of the game where Humphrey clearly gave up on a ball that was lofted pretty high by Carr. There's a lot of people who say that they've seen Humphrey chase balls down like that and he could have gotten
5: involved in that. No chance. And from, my, from my point of view, no chance. Once he got bumped um, and was not like in phase with, with Zay Jones, and the, the air that um, Carr put on it, there was, there was no chance he could have got that. Mm-hmm.
4: It was a he, was a good,
5: th- he was a good four yards behind him after the bump. And he gave chase, but when he realized the trajectory of the ball, it was, you know, he just stopped.
4: I mean, I think maybe it's the look of the thing that is worse yeah. than the actual, you know, play. Yeah, I agree with Coach. The bump's I think not in the replay. You know the the more the worst play for Humphrey was earlier in the game. There was a play where he missed a tackle, the second tackle, and I forget who that Renfrow. was. Oh, Red, That's Red the one. The one I thought Left he side out of bounds on. Yeah. yeah, right. So th- that that to me that was that was kind of a bummer. I didn't think Humphrey played bad because he did a good job against Waller, but but there's, mm-hmm. he certainly had some bad plays in this game. And, well, I, and that, I I attested to this. You know, because I see Josh with the baseball stuff, and I used to play
5: center field. A ball's hit, and you take off. You know. It's over your head. You're going to take off in the first couple of steps. And once you realize that ball gone, you just kind of tail off. It's the same thing.
3: All right, yeah. Fair enough. Especially, especially with the type of emotion that was in that
4: fi- the end of that game. True. All right. So let's see, what do we not talked about? We haven't talked about outside linebacker usage yet. So, uh, some interesting things going on with outside linebacker. We already talked about the race car in general, and them having four outside linebackers on the field a lot, but Houston and Owe got the wide spots in the race car. So they were always on the outside, seven or nine techs, uh, looking back towards the inside. They're trying to get those guys in space. I understand what it's always been Houston's game to be seven or nine. But Owe, uh, we'll talk about him a little bit later, but I thought he made very good use of being on the outside of the pass rush. Um, speaking of Owe, I just want to, all the,
5: the negativity I spewed when we uh-huh. drafted him, I'm willing to eat my crow
4: just oh, based off
5: off this first game. <laughs> he he did more in this first game than I thought he could do when we drafted him. And even though he grew on me as training camp went along, I you know, I have to eat my crow based off Owe because his potential is, is, is crazy based off maybe I know this is one game, mm-hmm. but based off what I saw and the way they were using him, I like what he
4: can be. I, I agree completely. We didn't we didn't see this really as much in the preseason this year was Oway having a pass rush plan. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I've made the point that Owe is, is that extraordinary athlete where the guy opposite him at tackle is always going to be an inferior athlete. The, the thing he needs to do is make the first move, make first contact, make the first step, make mm-hmm. the first whatever and get that, that that athlete opposite to him to react to it because he's going to overreact to Owe's athleticism. Yep. And then you make your counter move, whatever that might be. Well, he, he needs to have three of those, let's yes. say, if he could do, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, if it's out, you know, punch the guy on the outside shoulder and then spin inside. Mm-hmm. That's a great one to start with. And we saw that for the, for the, for, I don't know if he was a sack or a pressure on and, that. But and we saw With, his, with his athleticism, he can easily perfect uh, Ngagwe's
5: uh, chop rock easily. Yeah. And then you add a spin on the back of that. You'll have guys falling. Is yeah, he just once he puts stuff in his toolbox yeah. and he has a guy to teach him
4: in Houston, I think he's gonna be special. Yeah, you're right. That's that's it's a great relationship there. And the Houston signing should should pay off. Houston himself, I thought, had a, had an okay game as a pass rusher. He got a heavy workload as well, but mm-hmm. uh, uh but Owe was really something special and, and it looked like they were relying on him more as the game went on. Uh, in particular, he was only really used as a as a situational pass rusher at the start of the game, and more used in on rundowns as the game went on, and, and really started dragging into a lot of snaps, frankly. And as, talking
5: about Houston, I think Houston had a fairly decent game. One thing I didn't like that I saw I saw Houston drop more than I would have liked to see. Mm-hmm. I think you want to come back with your more athletic. Not saying Houston's not athletic, but you got you got um, Bowser, you got Oway, and whenever Hayes Haynes is um Available, You got those guys that kind of do that. I think Houston should be your – they you got to go get the quarterback. That's what he's done over his career. And I know you want to vary and, you know, have your looks look the same and let them do different stuff, but Houston in space is – is to me it's not a good look.
4: Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's a, it's a tougher thing. You've got to be confident that Houston can be the guy who can take responsibility for that outlet running back. If he's going to do that, because he's not going to be able, he's not going to help you in zone coverage very much. Mm -hmm. He's crafty enough that if you have a crossing receiver, he might not do what Queen did and and knock the guy in back into the backfield. But I think basically he's going to help you take down an outlet receiver if you if if you trust him to do that. Mm -hmm. Sorry, outlet running back is what I mean. You know what I mean? (laughs) Uh, Ferguson another guy activated as a fifth outside linebacker this week no Hayes Hayes's spot on the as an active player is very safe and I think coaches alluded to it before but because he's a a flexible coverage linebacker and probably the Ravens second best coverage linebacker at this point oh wait could develop into being something better but right now I think Hayes is their second best just best coverage outside linebacker um, he brings them a lot of flexibility in the pass rush they're going to really like having Ferguson this game despite a big preseason only had 10 uh snaps in this one and we didn't really see much from him in the way of pressure
5: yeah and and just
4: talking about Ferguson I
5: honestly and I don't know if a lot of people saw it I didn't have him making the team yeah so I you know I thought that spot was you know the the roster spots like during games was going to be Hayes I I didn't think Mm -hmm. expect to see Ferguson there and um based off uh, I think is I think he's still in trial mode (laughs) honestly to see if he can produce in in limited limited action, and they may end up doing something with him because he he still hasn't impressed me in any phase of his game other than setting the edge in one or two games last year.
4: That's it, not inconceivable that they'd end up trading him at some point this year, maybe maybe at the trade deadline even. But um, he is a guy during during the preseason who is just unstoppable. And I know you, you're playing. You got to consider context and who he's playing against. Obviously, is a big deal, but. I thought he played so well, you couldn't leave him off the team this year. And the other thing is, the Ravens really run their uh, outside linebacker group as a six to make five group. Mm-hmm. So you got some older guys there. You got a position which has a lot of injuries just naturally, and you know it's it's a good thing when you have six guys available to fill five spots you want every week. Particularly when one of your key packages has four outside linebackers <laughs> on the field. <laughs> true that. True that. The um. And,
5: you know, McPhee is a lit considered an outside linebacker, but I think he's more of a an in, a in guy in one of those packages. He kind of, he kind of
4: slides in and sure. helps with interior pass rush. Yeah, I mean, I agree completely. He's a five-tech effectively playing on those on those roles a lot of the time and still has a good first step. I love to still see him get between two guys and, and all the havoc that that creates, you know, built around that. All right, let's see. Anybody else we need to talk to on the outside linebackers? I, ch- I think we're ready for another question, Josh, if you want to do that, and then we'll move All on. All right. To...
3: All right. Let's talk about uh, usage of some different guys. And Jacob's wondering if you're going to expect now to see a little bit more of a Darius Washington maybe moved, used in the nickel cornerback uh, spots.
4: Just add nickel as the next thing up on, on, the, uh, on the list here. Uh, it'll be interesting to see after Tavon's first game here how they treat that whether they say, no, we need, we need Tavon here in the slot against more traditional slot receivers mm-hmm. um, as, this, as this year goes on, or if they say, well, we got a tight end, heavy group here, maybe we need to think about it differently, get Ardarius on, maybe to play some back end at safety. I mean, you still got Stone. They didn't play Stone in this game, even though he was active. Um, what do you think, Coach? I think either Tavon or
5: Ard- Ardarius is still going to be a problem whichever one you play because of Kelsey mm-hmm. because of Kelsey's, you know, Kelsey is similar to Waller in in size, probably a better route runner, but not as fast. But I think it's going to be tough. Whichever guy you decide to slide in there, I'm still thinking you're going to see Marlin work Kelsey Marlin. I would say Westry, but I don't know if Westry has the the, the hips to move mm-hmm. left to right fast enough. And, um, a, Avery, I mean Avery's going to stay outside, so I think you're going to end up seeing a lot of what we saw once they moved Marlin inside and Westview kind of outside. To, yeah. to do that because our, um, if I'm not mistaken, our Darius is a smaller guy. Yeah, five eight, uh, five nine. Uh, and, and Tavon's a smaller guy. Uh-huh. so we got to have a bigger body now to deal with Kelsey. And I don't, I, you know, Chuck maybe may have some of that
4: responsibility, but you it can't just be Chuck all night. I agree. It could be Jimmy Smith maybe coming back. That's another possibility. Mm-hmm. So the Ravens it's not the Ravens have a pretty deep defensive back core still. I mean, I'm saying that um I better be knocking on wood because we know every year there's a lot of injuries at those positions. Mm-hmm. But they I think they have the safety core to get through the year this year. Um and I think they have they have a cornerback core that certainly could get through the year, although the Marcus Peters injury looms very large for that group. True. That that was one of the deeper positions. And um obviously you could
5: tell by the trading of um uh, who's my guy, Sean Wade? So you know, even though Sean had that bad game right before he got traded, but still, the position was deep enough to get rid of a guy that had size and potential, especially in the slot. Um, and just you know, with Averett, I'm um, I'm I'm banking on him taking that next step and using this opportunity to grow as as a as a corner and potentially. End up being a big payday for him, whether it be for the Ravens or somebody else. This is his chance to show that, hey, I'm a, I'm a, maybe not a top level corner, but I'm in that next level, and I can, you know, I can produce. And so I'm looking for him to play lights out and just to show the world that, that he can do it. And I I believed in him from a long time ago because of just some different things I saw, and because of the pedigree he came from, you know, Alabama. So I think he actually played with Marlin at Alabama. So, you know. And saving Coach DBs, so they they put DBs out, and I and I know the pedigree that that Avery has, and I just like what I see from him all the time. Just because he gives up some underneath stuff, sometimes you rather see him get beat deep,
4: right? I, I, you know, averett has been one of my favorites. I think he's progressed every year in terms of what he's done for the one, what he's done for the Ravens. And when he's gotten good opportunities to play, I think that's it's generally been positive. there have been some he had some difficult times in 2019. I'm really thinking about more than any time otherwise that he kind of got on the field at some times that were not opportune for him, where the defense was breaking down more generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, I do think he's played very well and and you're right this is a payday opportunity for him and and it should be one where the ravens should really consider all of the possibilities one is can, can we extend him in season because the ravens cornerback crew is pretty old even with the, the, the some of the developmental guys they now have in washington and and Westry, it's a pretty old group um you know they have they have peters who I think you got to be honest with yourself and say it's possible he's played his last down as a Raven, and mm-hmm. I don't mean that in any negative way. But he signed for next year, and there's a big salary cap savings if they cut him. Mm-hmm. And and you know you got to make kind of make a decision now. Do you extend him and try and get him to take a reduced salary next year? How exactly would you cover that? And I think honestly, you know, there's there's a chance that he's played his last down as a Raven, as sad as that is.
5: Yeah, and and once I start once I got into this heavy, I, and I don't know if I got it from you or not, but the, those older guys kind of signed for. A certain and play for another one, like in his case, you signed for three and played for two, and like with Ingram, he signed for three and was there for two. Yeah. So, um, at at that stage, you, you, I think you're right on it. It just depends on. And he said he loved Baltimore. Mm-hmm. But who knows if he takes a cut to stay, and you know, to come back and 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 help, you know, help win another championship.
4: But um, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, if it's it's. He'll he'll have pressures from all sides. Obviously, he's a he's a proud guy himself, and, mm-hmm. and I think if he goes and signs somewhere else for four years, you know they're gonna they're gonna pay him a lot of money to do it. And I would think that uh, you know it's 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 gonna come down. To, I mean, if you if you if you're the Baltimore Ravens and you have the choice between signing Anthony Everett and signing Marcus Peters at this point, coming off an injury at his age and the difference there, you know which do you do? It's it's less obvious now than it was mm-hmm. you know three months ago. Yes. And and is Peters 30 yet? No, I think Peters is 28 or 29, but let me check that so I I have that soon. But Averitt is definitely low 20s, like
5: 24, maybe 24, 25.
3: Peters is 28 years old. His birthday's in January.
5: Okay. And I'm sure Averitt's 25, 26. So to me, I'd go Averitt off off Mm -hmm. youth and lack of
4: injury because Marcus has some injuries in his past also you also get Averitt for a cheaper price I'm sure mm-hmm. at this point if you want to extend him now and you know that'll all go into the Ravens thinking the Ravens are right up against it in terms of the cap right now yeah. it's just a it's just a miserable position that they've gotten into here um, in in what it should be a good opportunity to really compete for a Super Bowl
3: and you're right Averitt is 26 gotcha but of course the exciting
4: thing is that Humphrey's 25 <laughs> and he's already signed <laughs> true all right, so we talked a little bit about I think we covered the nickel fairly well. I, how, how did you think about Westry in this game? I, I liked
5: Westry. I already liked Westry before um he, he before when he even signed, I liked Westry because he's one of my my Madden guys that I kinda like because of his size and speed. But um he's turning into a a, a decent player. He got he got through into a role when when Peters went down that probably was gonna be bigger than he expected. And um, especially with facing another tight end of this magnitude is probably going to have a big role this week mm-hmm. uh, playing. I'm looking to see him and and um, Avery at the outside corners and Marlon in the slap, kind of working with uh, Kelsey. So he, he can have his hands full and we'll see with um, Tyreek and Miko Hartman and whoever else they decide
4: to throw out there. Yeah. Th- those are some guys who are, are going to be real challenges for him to cover, but he, he does have the long speed to work with those guys, which is, which is unusual. He's the fastest, I believe, of the Ravens corners now. But uh, he, he he may not have the change of direction necessary to deal with somebody True. like Tyreek. True, and so I, I, with, with that being in mind, you'd have to play him
5: in a lot of zone. You'd have to play yeah. him in a lot of zone because he he won't be able to to run the the, the deep overs with Tyreek after he cut a couple times or um, any kind of something in goal like a, a out yeah. and up or a curling. He won't be able to change direction, so you know they're gonna have to. Figure out different ways to play coverage with, you know, to try to disguise coverages and whatnot. But and, and occasionally play man, occasionally play man. Um, but uh, he just he can't. They can't play man the whole time, and because he can't run
4: in space with Tyreek or Miko because they they cut too good. Right. I think you got to in the case of those two guys in particular, you got to you got to hit them off the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. And they, they put Tyreek in a lot of motion to avoid that, mm-hmm. uh, which means that's a very, very difficult time for Westry to cover him. And man, when he's when that's going on. But I like your idea that you play him on the back end of a cover three. I think he'd look really good there reacting to the football, potentially, uh, you know, giving him more space to work with uh, there. You could I that would be the, the obvious place to me. But maybe you've got another idea.
5: No, that's 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 it. He, and he has everything in front of him. He can see it. Mm-hmm. And you know, not many people are gonna run by him. So he got the deepest, he got the deepest deep third if it's cover three. But again, it's the NFL and you can't just sit in cover three. So you're gonna have to disguise it and hide it and do different things. And mm-hmm.
4: it's 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 crazy. All right. Uh Okay, so we talked a little bit about that. Let's move on here. We talked a little bit about covering Waller. We have any other any other questions from the mailbag? I want to go into some individual player discussion here if we have it,
3: just a general. Were you happy with the play calling overall with the defense just in general? Or do you think we have a a problem
4: with uh, the way of the way the Ravens were using Okay, I'll I'll start with this. I think a quarterback like Carr really takes away a lot of your options on what you can do defensively because the ball's coming out quick. So you have to figure out how are you going to disrupt the timing of what he wants to do from other ways than getting a fast pressure because it's very hard to get a fast pressure against Carr. So you really you if if he's going to do a lot of ball out quick, ball out quick where the ball's going to Waller it's going to Renfro, it's going to, you know, his targets that are that are actually good um you know their deep targets are not particularly impressive jones and edwards and and Ruggs, they haven't done a lot right yeah uh, they, they, they haven't are, done a lot because he like you said he gets rid of the ball so quick mm-hmm. so and they
5: they and they don't have time to get vertical in their routes and the only way they can get vertical is if they happen to 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 guess right on a zero blitz and they they guessed right um versus us last night and when for some strange reason, reason the jets did it last year that's true. Why, why the heck did they ruin all-out blitz on that play? And, and, and Rose got behind um, the cornerback, which got the guy fired. I think he got fired the next week or the next fired day. Fired the next day. That was, it was Greg Williams, right, Who's, mm-hmm. who got fired by the Jets. <laughs> and
4: that's, that's that what, when that weird. happened. That's what I thought about. Yeah. All right. Uh, any, uh, other individual players you'd like to talk about?
5: Um, We can stick with, with covering Waller, in which we – we did okay with Waller. He caught fifty percent of his balls. He just caught the the more meaningful ones, if if that makes sense. He converted a lot of the third downs, or or got him in second and short. You know, with with his catches, and he just he's tough to cover, man. You can't put a small guy on him because he can can bully and box him. You put a bigger guy on him, he cannot run him. He, he he's a freak of night. he's in that that upper echelon of tight ends with Kittle and Kelsey, and it's. it's you see, he is tough to cover. He's a matchup nightmare.
4: Yeah. He's, he's, you know, he, when he was in Baltimore, very clearly the best athlete of the tight ends and just uh, so sad that he could not figure it out here in Baltimore. Actually converted to tight end, I guess, reasonably late in his Baltimore career, right? He was a couple of years at wide receiver before mm-hmm. he converted, if I recall correctly. Yes. And I, I, did you hear the story of um, how Waller got to the Raiders? How he got to the Ravens? Raiders. Oh, uh, be, be, so be, being self destructive and that sort of thing. I'd be telling, mm-hmm. please. No, um, John Gruden talked about it,
5: and he said they. Matter of fact, they may have been playing the Ravens, and he was on like the practice squad or something. And he was like off to the side playing catch and doing other things before the game. And Gruden inquired to who he was when he came available. He snatched him up.
4: <laughs> just saw him playing catch, and that was enough yeah, for they just, He
5: wasn't dressed out. He was, like, off to the side maybe doing drills and, and whatnot. And I'm paraphrasing Gruden because the this, this story I got from, came from Gruden's mouth on some sure I don't know if it was <laughs> NFL Network or ESPN. But he was saying he was off to the side, and Gruden was like, man, who is that guy? And when he became
4: available, they went and got him. So it sounds like a little bit of Gruden – emphasizing gruden <laughs> <laughs> that's, it, that's gruden
5: scouting so to speak
3: yes <laughs>
4: right.
3: but can you work correct that what left he left the ravens because of self-destructiveness
4: yeah he's talked about that a little bit himself is that you know he just he was self-sabotaging to try and get his career over with which i i don't understand it i really don't you know but you know it's it is what it is and uh, I guess I'm. I guess I'm happy he figured it out somewhere. I, I I would have been happier if it was for an NFC team, but at least it's not the Steelers. Right.
5: Now they they cool. they took a lot
4: of time during
5: the actual broadcast to talk about Waller and somebody else dealing with their their issues and how they've overcome them so far. I can't remember who the other Ra- Raiders guy was, but um, they mm-hmm. took a, a nice little segment out to, to talk about how they have
2: yeah,
3: struggled
5: was- in the past. Who was it? It was this, Well, it was the storyline of, of for Monday Night
3: going into it. it was was a good storyline about uh, him, and it was like Max or something. Was it Max Dignity Crosby? Crosby? Yeah, Max Crosby. Okay. Yeah, and about how Max Crosby looked to Waller and kind of got courage from Waller to fix his off-field issues as well.
4: Yeah. Actually. Huh. All right, did not know that. I'll have to go back and, and watch the broadcast again. If you're, you're, you're going
3: back and watch the broadcast, <laughs> you should also go check out the... Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, talking heard, about the game I as it's going on. Amazing. They had Ray Lewis on for one segment and teased Ray Lewis for ruining Kyle Bowler's career because, <laughs> uh, because they wouldn't let Kyle Bowler make any completions during practice. And, and Ray Lewis laughed and said that Kyle Bowler never got a first down during practice against them.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, heard, I've heard more about their little role than even the game itself that from, I heard they dropped some nuggets. I heard that every quarterback, every young quarterback should even shouldn't even watch the game to watch those two to learn something. Yeah. It was interesting.
3: It wasn't, it wasn't a broadcast of the game. It was a watch party basically with them Mm -hmm. where they were just talking about the game and about their careers while the game was going on.
4: And and it was, it it was, it was live while the game was going on. They did ESPN too. Okay. I've I've got to make sure I tape that in the, in the coming weeks. But they're doing it every Monday this season, right? Definitely this next Monday. Okay. So I'm yeah, assuming that if people like it
5: like they're saying it is, it will continue. Right. I think they signed up for six or something to start. And then we'll
3: okay. see. You also got Russell Wilson on at the end of the game, yelling at Marlon Humphrey for not chasing that ball down.
4: Ooh.
5: Mm. All right. While his wife was at the Met Gala in a Russell Wilson-inspired jersey, and a
4: football purse and his Super Bowl ring. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Coach, give us an update on your on your own team that you're coaching this this fall. Um, well, like I told you, you know, um, before we
5: got on, I have a freshman quarterback, a 14 year old, leading one of the most storied programs in the state of Florida. And um, right now we're 0 and 3, but we've played better each um, each week and trying to get a teenager to do the things you need to do. It is is good, and we're trying to maneuver through COVID protocols and whatnot. Luckily, anybody on the team hasn't had it, but they, you know, if somebody around them at school has it, they have to be quarantined. So we were hit, we've been hit with that a couple of times. So we hadn't had our full team on the field but once, and that was in the preseason game. So, um, and the, the preseason game we played a team out of Virginia that was like that, that's nationally ranked called Life Christian, and um, we've just been going through growing pain, but hopefully we put it all together. Uh, everybody's starting to come back um district starts this friday and um we still got a chance you know all our goals still in front of us win district uh hold some playoff games and, and get a chance to win state and the good thing about that is two or three years from now it shouldn't be an issue because i would i
4: would have a three-year starter at quarterback that'll be exciting and now are you head coach now or do are you what what do you I'm do still a, i'm still oc oc all right very good Sometimes now, we got to dig in a little bit to your favorite play calls there, and, and get people talking about that. Oh, we we definitely get in that. I got a couple. <laughs>
3: <laughs> now, now, Ken, you can't sneak out of here too fast. We still got a we still got a mailbag question for John because everyone's worried about next week's game. So the question from John is: What are some changes that you expect this defense to make over a week? Because Patrick
4: Mahomes is way scarier than Derek Carr. Yeah, much scarier. Um, I, I would say they're going to be even more conservative about the pass rush after what happened last year against Mahomes. Uh, I, I think we, we won't see much blitzing at all. We'll see a lot of four-man rush. We, there was a lot of four-man rush in this in this game. I think we might even see more against Mahomes. Mahomes against the Blitz last year, I think it was under the Blitzer. Against the Blitzer under pressure, but he completed 15 out of 16 for you know 160 yards or something. It was just ridiculous, but... Mm-hmm. Uh, it, what do you think, Coach? What would what, what changes well, I, you think? I've been looking
5: forward for this matchup
4: since it happened.
5: Oway in Houston versus OBJ. I think we can win that matchup, and if we can win that matchup, we got a shot at the game. I, I really think we can win that matchup. The Houston with his his veteran savvy and all his moves. Oway with straight line speed, mm-hmm. because you know we. I mean, and I'm not trying to crap on OBJ, but he's a heavier footed guy. And if he gets his hands on you, he got you. But Houston's, you know, craftiness and always straight line speed. If if we can win that matchup, I think we're going to be good. And the fact that if Owe wins, Mahomes can't run away from him. He maybe can run away from other guys. He won't
4: run away from Owe. Yeah, that's a good point. I, O-way, uh, uh, OBJ did not look that good in the first game against Cleveland, yeah. I didn't think. Now, Cleveland's got a couple of voracious nice. pass rushers in Clowney um, and, G- and Clowney. Garrett. Yep. But, you know, obviously, if, if you're looking for matchup cases, I think Owe, if he dictates that first move again against OBJ, that's exactly the kind of athlete he wants to play against. And if, if I'm him,
5: I'm on that Browns tape, like now, like <laughs> last night, just trying to emulate and simulate some of the things Garrett and Clowney did. Because if we can get pressure with four, we, we, we got a chance. If we can get pressure with four, we got a chance. If we got a blitz, I don't like our chances. How important is this next game for the Ravens in terms of they make the playoffs or not? To me last night when, when the game was over with, I was like, we're not going to make the playoffs. And that was kind of emotional, you know, saying it. And so when I was doing my live today, kind of giving a recap, somebody actually asked me how serious was I about that? And I couldn't really answer that. But if this is a must win more than anything to me right now, starting off. zero and two, Especially if um, Cleveland wins and um, Pittsburgh wins, it, it's gonna be t- it's a tough hill. It's a tough hill to climb out of. And keep in mind, we still got you know games against those guys. But now we're hoping other people beat them to help us out. And you never want to be in that situation with right. with such a big game in Week Two. Any chance the Ravens were
3: kind of looking past this Raiders game and already preparing for for the Chiefs?
5: Uh, that's tough. That's tough. You know, because they talked about. Never looking past opponents after what happened to uh, them in the Titans that right. in the playoff run, but it's tough, especially when you, what, the third straight year the Chiefs have been week one, two, or three, mm-hmm. and it's right. it, It's Remember probably circled the- on calendars, and we hadn't beat them yet. It's it's that's a, that's a tough question, and it, it is possible that that happened.
4: It's it's a Harbaugh has been very good at getting his teams motivated for week one games throughout his career this they laid an egg mm-hmm. and and it was you know it, it, there's no other way to term it cuz cuz this Oakland team just was not that sorry Las Vegas team was just not that good right and you know they, they we talk about the threats they have sure they have Waller so what every team has some offensive threat mm-hmm. they had jacobs and the and the ravens completely shut him down they had a 14 point lead and they blew that that's never supposed to happen ravens go up 14 Maureen and i are celebrating like the game's over i mean we're, <laughs> the turning we're, point was the fourth and
5: one mm-hmm. and, and and somebody mentioned that um that whatever, had that old line play was the issue on that. I was like, no. The mm-hmm. only reason K.J. Wright even came across was because of the guy coming in motion, which is Ricard. If Ricard doesn't come in motion, K.J. Wright don't, have that, don't see that run through. And then that, that holds wide open. But, I mean, they only they tried to blame it on the running back. They tried to blame it on Murray.
4: That's what it was. Mm-hmm. And, but that and one changed the traje- trajectory of the game. It was very costly, that's for certain. A lot of people you know said take the field goal. I thought that was ridiculous. I think you go for it there, but you just you you gotta have a better way to get a get a yard. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the notion that the Ravens don't really have a quarterback sneak play? With Flacco and Yonda, everybody knew the dance steps every time. And you know, it was it was a very high percentage play. Um I think they look to to
5: go for the home run. Cause I rarely see us run quarterback sneak. I think they look to get something. And and gash it. Kinda like the the touchdown. All yeah. those guys were right up around the line of scrimmage. I think they just looked to gash it and maybe maybe a little bit of arrogance, maybe.
4: I mean, you know, when you really think of it, and you just brought it up there, so I'll, so I'll say it too. I mean, they had two fourth and ones. One they one they got for a thirty-five yard touchdown. The other one they they got stopped on. Um, it's not an an ideal result by by any amount. But expecting a lot better than that is unrealistic. You know, expecting them to to hit both of them and score TDs subsequently mm-hmm. to both of them is is really an unreasonable expectation of of that situation. Obviously, it's. I, it was bad, obviously, that they missed it. It would have been great if they gotten 10 points out of those two drives. But, you know, it was what it was, and they got seven.
5: Yeah. To go up 17-0 or 21-0 would have – I think the Raiders would have laid it
4: down. All right, Coach, always a pleasure to talk football with you. Rik. We're having you back on at least a couple times before this season. And
5: I look forward to every time we get a chance to talk, buddy. I appreciate it. And if uh, anybody flicks on you,
4: give me a call. <laughs> we'll do absolutely we'll do and uh if i can do anything to support your channel coach you let me know too okay if you want me on as a guest for any any uh, uh film breakdown of yours we'll do we'll do it It'll, i'll probably give you a call for something
5: when you're at home okay just have you jump on and just kind of give a quick synopsis of a game or something
4: like that sure thing sure thing uh, josh what what else you got going on that you want to talk about
3: um People can to check out Section 336. That's still going strong, even though the Orioles are not going strong. But you can uh, go check that out. And we talk a lot about the future and what's going on down in the farm.
4: A lot, a lot about the minor league teams. I said Gunnar Henderson got, got elevated yep, today Henderson and, went and up. Had, a tri- had a triple or double.
3: Yeah. yeah, had a double. Had a double. He's looking good. And Adley is still killing the ball in Norfolk. Mm-hmm. So no reason right. to uh, give up any hope. There's, there's something coming.
4: Excited for that. All right, guys. uh, Great to have you on and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study.